Hello, my friend. Drito. How are you? I am fine, thank you. How are you? Yeah, yeah, I'm good too. So, yeah. Okay. Listeners. Hello, listeners. How are you? I hope you are doing well. I'm Jyoti and you're listening to another And today I have with us Moti Balev, who is joining us from Jerusalem. Hey, Moti. Hey, hey, Juiti, what, how are you? What is what's happening? Yeah, yeah, all good. Just the corona. Corona, everything is okay. Yeah. Okay, so what are you doing right now? We are still in, lock, in a lockdown? Yeah, yeah, full lockdown. I'm under full lockdown. Wow. I have not left home. Everything comes home like home delivery. I at all. I just sit inside the home. My own to go outside is the balcony. The balcony is the wow. maximum. Okay, so yeah, because yeah, we, are, we, are, we, are, we are in the process actually to finish the lockdown. People are on the street. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yes, we are in another situation. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I, uh, I'm actually... Yes. Yeah. So yeah, Moti, why don't you introduce yourself to our listeners? Okay, so I will introduce myself. My name is uh, Moti Balev, and I was born in uh, Jerusalem, I can say in a very special neighborhood uh, called Mea Sha'arim. Mea Sha'arim is considered as the most extreme anti-Zionist, ultra-Orthodox neighborhood. I was born as an ultra-Orthodox. Uh, Until I was uh, 21, I actually practiced, you know, the way of life of the ultra-Orthodox. Uh, when I was 18, I got married. And I, when I was 20, I also got two children. Uh, something between 22 and 23, uh, I left, uh, you know, the ultra-Orthodox lifestyle. I uh, became uh, secular. And I was like in a structure with uh, people that are uh, suffering from mental disease. And uh, later, I went to the university and I studied to be a tour guide. In the and right now, I'm a tour guide all over uh, Israel, and especially in Jerusalem. And my expertise is the ultra Orthodox uh, society. I guess it's enough, no? Yeah, yeah, but we are all very curious. Thank you so much, Mati. It was an amazing introduction. Uh, uh, but I'm, I'm going to more. So how was your childhood like when you were growing up as a kid? How was it? What are your memories from your childhood growing up? Okay, thank you for your question. Listen, a, a childhood by the ultra-Orthodox society, it's a very special childhood. First of all, you live in a community, in a closed community, People do not use uh, neither TV nor radio, and of course not uh, internet and so on. And then time wasn't an internet. And you live in a very close community and special at Mea Sharim, it's a community actually against the Zionists. They consider the Israel states, the Zionism, as the most evil, evil things that happen in our period. So it's a very naive uh, childhood. Of course, uh, you have not relationship with the, with the other gender, I mean uh, women, females. There is actually like a wall 
between you and between girls. Uh, all of us were sent to different schools. There are the schools of the boys and the schools of the girls. And of course, at the school, you do not study secular study at all. There are just an hour a day uh, uh, mathematics, you know, very, very basic. But uh, most of the time, uh, you spend time to study the Torah, the Talmud. Talmud is inter the interpretation of the Bible. And I can say it's a very, very strict and naive life. You know, Jerusalem, I guess it's, you know, if I will compare Jerusalem to a town in India, I guess it's, it will be one of the smallest towns in India. But it's a very, you know... Yeah, we are so yeah. many. We are so many. <laughs> yes, we have so many. But it's so cold. It's a very colorful city, I guess. Dariti, you actually know that yeah. you, you used to live in Jerusalem. Yeah, 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 I agree with you. And what is interesting, it's interesting that you can live in the ultra-Orthodox side and like under the meter around is the secular, secular area, but, but you, don't, you, 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 don't, you don't have a knowledge, nothing about what's happening outside your neighborhood. So it's very, very interesting. Uh, this uh, lifestyle. Uh, when I was 13 years old, I was sent to a yeshiva. A yeshiva is like, let's say, it's the middle school. It was in Bnei Brak. Bnei Brak is another city. It's a pure city of ultra-Orthodox. And I spent time here uh, till, till I was 18. When I became 18, as I told you, I got married. Okay. And uh, during your childhood, do you have any particular anecdotes or some interesting part of your childhood when you were Hello, you came in contact? I do not hear yeah, you. Can you. Yeah, can you hear me now? Hello? Can you hear me now? Moti, can you hear me? Hello? Hello, can you hear me? Okay, I will, yeah, hello, can you hear me now? You can hear me? Yes, I, yes, I hear you. You have to ask your question again. Yeah, so my question is, uh, growing up as a child in Mia Sharim, did you have any interesting things where you came in contact with the outside world and you asked some questions to the elders or was there any situation where you ended up lost in some other part of Jerusalem? Okay, so thank you for your question, a very good question. First of all, I belong I, I belongs to a very special section by the ultra-Orthodox. I call it the second generation of the Chuzrim B'Tshuva. The Chuzrim B'Tshuva are Jewish people, secular people from all over the state. But actually, they went to they went through some interesting spiritual process and they became actually religious. They became ultra-Orthodox. And of course, I cannot actually compare it, you know, to the Casta in India, but they are like a second class. So first of all, my parents, you know, they weren't like a ordinary ultra-Orthodox. They used to be secular and they became religious. They actually tried to avoid me, to meet this world, and of course, when my grandpa and my grandma came, it was actually like an order what they are allowed to say and what not. Uh, 
I can say actually that I had questions. No, I was quite naive. I developed my questions when I was 16 years old. I got some very interesting event and then I start to ask questions. But you have to know that there are no questions by the ultra orthodox. There are no questions. There are no actually train the actually they they don't know what to do with questions. You are not allowed to asking questions and even if you have questions there is no address to ask somebody a question. And if you know you get you get brave and you ask some someone questions in most of the cases he will not satisfies you. He will not answer you a question if there is a god if you know Moses god the Torah and Sinai and so on. So I actually mm. have to have to made my way alone. I can say I the most of my way to live this society actually I made it alone by myself a step by step. Wow. So if I may ask you so what happened when you were 16 if you want to share with the audience? What's happened what? What happened when you were 16 years old? You said that ah, some okay. incident happened when Okay yes I, I, I listen I was belong to a very interesting sect the Hasidic sect called the Breslev Breslev it's a very interesting sect they have a, a master a guru Rabbi Nachman of Breslev he passed away more than 200 years ago and they have a very interesting practicing not all of the ultra orthodox practice you know this kind of practice of of the Breslev community and one of the practicing was to go to the forest outside the city and to pray to god in your own language it's uncommon by the ultra orthodox the ultra orthodox they have, you know they have the regular prayers three times three times a day and they pray from the siddur which means the book you know it's prayers from more than 2000 2000 years ago so rabbi nachman he said wow. you have to pray in your language not in hebrew you could you, you know it could be in english in yiddish in polish and so on and it's in it's what it was very highly recommended to pray in the middle of the night to go to the forest in the middle of the night you can imagine you know for a boy 16 years old to go to some forest uh, forest in the middle of the night it was quite terrifying and i remember this day you know like it happened yesterday happened yesterday i stood up in front of some tree some trees and then i feel i felt uncomfortable i felt that something you know in my mind i didn't you know i couldn't point what's actually happening in my mind and i felt that this is an horrible thing a horrible thing so i pushed this thought and then and then it came again and i pushed it again and then again and in the end it's appeared like appeared like appeared like in a very simple question the question was moti tell me you think that there is a god that is listening to your prayer that was the question if there is a god you know to a western world person it's a very you know a very common question a legitimate question but you know mm. in my in my environment in the yeshiva <laughs> it was unacceptable 
I remember actually um, that I, I felt terrified. It was actually like panic attack. I felt like panic attack because if there is no a God, so there is no some meaning. And then, and I knew, I knew that there is no a person to ask him to, to actually to take some advice. Nobody will can answer me. You know, contrary, people will say to me, you said to me, you have earthy thought because you are a sinner. So I tried to find answers in the book. And, you know, I got some answer, but after a week, I've got, you know, another question, even a worse question. And then I got some answer, and then again. You know, so I actually struggle, I fight against those thoughts like um, um, four or five uh, years. Within those years, I get married and I got, uh, you know, two children. Till when I was 21, I decided that I do not belong to the ultra-Orthodox anymore. I do not share the common, you know, faith. I am an individual person, and actually I supposed to begin my life. And I want to say something important. You know, yeah. to be an immigrant from India to German, for example, it's easier mm-hmm. than to be an immigrant from the ultra-Orthodox society to the secular Israelian world. You have to know it's wow. actually like you begin everything from the very beginning. Every, everything, you know, the elemental stuff. You don't know what is ABC in English. You don't know one plus one is two. You don't know nothing. It's actually you went through like a converting process. And you have to actually start everything from the beginning. For example, I was 22 years old, you know, an ordinary secular guy all over the world, 21 years old, especially in Israel. He's after the army. He goes, maybe, you know, we call that in Israel, like the big trip. You know, a lot of Israelis mm. are actually, actually going to India, the big trip. And yeah. later you have time, you know, mm. to exchange a girlfriend and you don't know if he wants to be a lawyer or to be a social worker or shrink or so on. And then 23, okay, finally you became, you know, you went to the university and 25, you got some job and you are still single. But if you are an ultra-Orthodox or 25, uh, you have got like four or four children and you are an ignorant. You don't know nothing about the world and you have to bring the living and so on. And actually, you are like a baby. Like a baby, you are doing your first steps. Hello? Hello? Yeah, yes, I am with you. Can you uh, listen? Yes, I'm waiting for your question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah yes, I'm with yeah, you. Yeah, so, yeah. Yes. When you decided to leave, you were 22, right? 21, 22. 20, yes, 21, 22, yes. Okay, so... Uh, Say a normal guy from the ultra orthodox community, when they are 25 and they have four or five children, so they make a living. Like, how do they bring food on the table? Okay, okay, thank you, thank you for your question. So, listen, uh, you know the line is, after you get married 18 by the conservative, but the more liberal 23, 23. 
So you are continue going to the Koilel. The Koilel is like a place for merry people that study the Torah and they got some, you know, some money from, you know, some scholarship, a few hundred knees from the government. So, you know, the partner, your wife, she will go and she will bring, you know, the living, you know, the, the food for the, of, on the table. That's right. But you have to know that by the ultra-Orthodox, there is a very special condition. First of all, there is a network of help. They're helping each other. You know, everything that helps each other. So you got some support. Secondly, as I told you, your wife goes, goes to work. Another issue, they are very modest, you know. They are no consumer. They do not use TV. They do not go to vacations. You know, they do not go to hotel. They do not uh, possessing uh, fancy cars and so on. So it's a very, very simple life. Where, you know, most of the people actually living a quiet, a poor life and they are satisfied. They believe, you know, I can say that even in India, it's very interesting. You know, I don't know a lot about India, but it, I hear that a lot of people in India, you know, the poor people, they accept the poverty. Am I right? Mm. Yeah, I think so. Am I, I right? So that's with the, yes. Yeah, I guess so. It is with the... A section of the poor population, yeah. Yeah, so it's not like India, because here they accept the poverty and they believe that a guy, the seated study Torah, the laws of God, God will gain you. So even though he's poor here, but in the second world, God will give him a nice portion in heaven. Listen, but things actually change in the last uh, 10, 15 years. So I can say that 60% of the ultra-Orthodox goes to work. You know, it's not a regular job. They're not lawyers. You know, they got, you know, some, you know, some smaller salary and so on. Uh, but I can imagine myself if I would be still an ultra-Orthodox. So right now, now I would have like, I'm 30, 38 years old. So my friend, they have like something between uh, six or 10 children. And of course, my daughter, she's 18 years, she's almost 19 years old. So, so she was married 18. So I could be right now a grandfather. It's very common by the ultra-Orthodox. I have friends, 38, 39, and they are grandfathers already. Wow. Yes. Uh, I couldn't have ever thought of that. I don't know, this idea never came to my head. Though even in India, in the past, people used to marry at a very younger age, like how many years ago, maybe 60, 70 years ago, there were a section of mm. marry at a much younger age. Some used to even marry at the age of 16 and 17, 100 years ago. So I guess mm. that would have been also the case in India, like at the age of 30, 35, they have grandkids. Mm. Like, Mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh. but but despite that, this idea never came to my mind. I was it had totally gone off my head, and so when at the yes, listen, I I, I know. Yes, Joiti. Yeah, yeah, I'm listening. Joiti. Yes, yes. I Hello? said I know. No, yes. I, listen, I know guys, people. Yeah, five, yeah, I can listen. Five, you hear me? Joito? 
Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I think there was a small network issue. So yeah, you're telling me when I told that how it was very much happening even in India just a few decades ago. Yes, 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 yes. I uh, say uh, okay. Uh, okay, I'm waiting for another question if you have. So you want me to continue yeah. alone? Yeah. So yeah, you can tell us more. Uh, otherwise, I had a question also. So when at the age of 21, 22, you left Mia Sharim, what did you do? Okay, okay, okay. So listen, when I left uh, again, again, again. Ah, uh, hello. Yes, you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. So when yes. you left Meshering yes. at 21, 22 age, uh what did you do? Yes. Like where, where did you go to Tell you listen. Uh, the, the the first 10 years was actually horrible i was 20 years old uneducated without a job nobody is waiting for you and you know i felt that i have actually to face you know many challenges you know meaning challenges material challenges you know uh, fatherhood and so on So at the, the beginning I work very hard. I work in some kitchen. I actually help people help, help the people in the kitchen to cook food to poor people. It was a very 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 tough very tough job and you know the salary was very low. And later I found some job with youth in risk, you know, the youth in risk that the government helps them. And then I came to work with the um, with the with mental disease uh, persons and like six years ago after I went actually to do to study so actually it became more easier and I want to say that um, I, I met you you know in my famous yeah. tour uh, yeah yeah that's where we met so you know I have been there I've been in the Davidka Square today and actually mm. you know that's that's the beginning point of the tour by the ultra orthodox mm. neighborhood and actually mm. i miss actually i actually missing i was missing this kind of tour because that's more that was my favorite my favorite you know people from mm. all over the world for like you for example from india from korea from usa mm. uk and actually curious people smart people coming to you know to hear the stories Uh, the, the story of the ultra orthodox society so i can say that actually i'm missing this kind of tourists mm. listen you asked me how manage that so that's very interesting you have to be very creative you have to be very creative you know, to actually get involved in this world uh, you know i had a dream i had a dream that i will know you know i will speak english mm. In that time when I was 22 I even didn't know even ABC. So you know when you are studying the yeshiva so actually they teach you how to take a text and to study it by yourself. So I thought I will take some dictionary. I bought some white dictionary and I was sure that after few few weeks I will get in English you know an excellent English like Thomas Jefferson. So I took this Oxford, you know, this Oxford book like uh, a few thousand pages and after a few 
hours I realized that I, that I will not get my English from this dictionary. So I took children books and I translated word by word. And when actually I felt that, that I am fine in this level, so I took another books of another age. And so slowly, slowly I got my English. Till I became a tour guide and I got, you know, I got tourists speaks actually the English speakers. So actually I practicing my English every day. And I can say that every day I try to improve in my English. Wow. That was, that was, how do I say it? It was very inspirational for me also, uh, because even for me, English is like my third language. English for me is like my third language and yeah. So I remember some of those old days when I listened to all that, like, because as a kid, for me, English was the toughest language because it was the third language. And as a kid, I had to master focus on my second language first. And yeah, so I remember my teacher calling my mom and telling, explaining to her why my English is not good and telling her, uh, but I tell you, it's nothing compared to what you said, uh, because I can understand. So you, you taught yourself the entire language on your own. Yes, and, and not only English. Listen, I had a huge gap. I can say that most of my knowledge I got from reading books. So I actually, I went to the library and I borrowed books after books, books by books, all different kinds of books, philosophy, psychology, history, novels, and so on. I was actually eager to know. I actually, I have, you know, like an appetite to the knowledge, actually to, for, uh, to reduce the gap between, between me and the outside world. Listen, if I want to speak generally about people like me that left the ultra-Orthodox society and became secular, I will say that it's uneasy. It's uneasy at all because some of them will actually excommunicate it. The, their parents will deny them. They will not accept them. I will not generalize all of the ultra-Orthodox, but of course, the extreme the extreme the community will actually deny their children. And I want to say one of the biggest challenges, uh, challenges is to losing the meaningful of your life. You have to know that the ultra-Orthodox society, as, as, as every religious society, it's full of meaning. You know, everything, mm -hmm. there is a meaning. How to put on your shoes, how to put off your hat, how to pray, and you believe that actually you invest in internal life. You believe that if you practice some commitment, some pray, some worship, God will gain you in heaven. And if you're suffering for something, you know, you have some disease, you are a single, you are a poor. So you say, okay, God punish me in this current life, but he will actually gain me in heaven. And of course, there are answers to everything, every question, everything there is an answer you know what is the answer we do not understand we do not understand the way of god only when we will come you know to the next world we will understand understand and when you became secular and so you actually you got experience that there are questions without answers 
So you feel, you know, a losing of your meaningful. You feel them the, like the emptiness of the postmodern world. So this is one of the problems that those people are actually facing. Another problem, a lot of those people, maybe it's linked to the losing of the meaningful of the life. They will feel depressed or panic attacked. Uh, we have got a lot of people that they will feel they will have like a, a, a suicidal thought or something like this. We've got also people, not a lot, but dozens of people that committed suicide. So I say it's a very complicated and tough process actually to do to do this way from the ultra orthodox world to the to the to the secular secular world. I guess maybe after a few years, 10 years, you get adapted a bit to the Western world lifestyle. Yes, I'm so, with you. When, yeah. So finally, at what age, like uh, after uh, how many years did you work before you went to university? So you worked for like six years, then you went to university? Or? No. Okay. Listen, so... Uh, like 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 I, I like seven years ago i went to the university yes and i got like you know uh, the permission to be a tour guide and later i went to the university in haifa in haifa this is up north and there i actually mm. studied uh, it's called israel study it's about history of israel states and right now uh, i'm studying israel philosophy in jerusalem I'm doing my BA. Yes. My okay. dream I have I my dream is to do a PhD. That's my dream actually to like to win the system to show to mm. myself that I was an ignorant in 20 years old. You know, I have, you know, the strengths to do a PhD and so on. So that's my dream. Wow, that's so amazing. So right now you're studying at the Hebrew University in Jerusalem? What? So right no, no, now, no, I mean, no, 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 no. I'm actually in a private institution. It's called Shechter Institution. Okay. Uh, this okay. is like a, a institution of Israel study, something like this. Yes. Wow. It's like a college. Okay. It's like a, co- like a, a university. It's like a university, but it's not an official mm. university. It's a college. Yes. Wow. So, uh, but the gap between you starting to study and you leaving the leaving measuring how many years was that was it like six seven years or how, what how, how much was that gap what do you mean again i do not understand uh, the like for instance the last time you left the colette the uh, education system and when you after marriage like you used to go and read the torah and go through the siddur yes, ah, it, it was that it was it, it was Yes, 16, 17 years ago. Uh, so, what, okay, so it is like a 10 year gap between you going to the secular university system and the religious yes. system. Yes, yes, yes. But as I told you, I actually try to read and learn, you know, a lot of books. So I yeah. can say most of my knowledge is not from the university. Most of my knowledge is, you know, the, the self teaching knowledge. That actually I used to sit in the li- at the libraries and to read books. Yes. 
Wow, that's so amazing. And how do I say it? Uh, so you believe that that was the power point, right? That 10-year time when after you had left that, you actually got all the knowledge and all that education was from you spending your time in the library. Yes, yes. Or to borrow books. And so at that time, what was your family and your wife, your children, uh, did you, were you in touch with them at that time or did you used to meet them? Okay, so listen, uh, even after I left the ultra-Orthodox, I became secular, so I was still married. I got divorced like, um, let's say, uh, eight years after I left. First of all, my children, they actually actually grew up as secular. Of course, not as ultra-Orthodox. When I left, they were like two years or three years old. So they never, you know, they never went to the ultra-Orthodox school. Uh, so, of course, even after I even after I left and I became secular, I still, uh, you know, have a relationship with them. But I decided a very clear decision. I decided that I will, I'm going to send them to a national religious school. National religious school is actually a school of religious people, but still they actually will study like secular study, a scientific study. So I thought that it's not a good idea to send them to a radical secular school because, you know, after all, they came from the ultra-Orthodox society. They have relative society. And I, and I didn't want to create a huge gap between them and their family. So I thought I have to put them on the middle of the way. And I can say that I'm quite uh, satisfied. Right now, they live with me. They're old, but they're religious. They're still religious, but they're very open-minded because they know a lot of cultures and a lot of different people. You know, they're not radical. They're not against secular and so on. They're very open-minded people. You have to know that in Israel, we have got the ultra-Orthodox. There are like million people, million and 30,000 people. But we have got a lot of religious people. You have to know that, you know, people all over the world, when they see somewhere someone with a kippah, with the Amulka, with the hat, they think he's an ultra-Orthodox. It's not true at all, because we have got the ultra-Orthodox. They are not a part of the states. They do not go, you know, to the... the they're against the Western world culture, they're against philosophy, scientific, and so on. But we have got a, a, a million more people that are still religious, and they go to the university, they serve the army, and so on. So in Israel, Beside the ultra-Orthodox, we have got the national religious. So the national religious, they are a part of the Western world. So here in Israel, you can be a religious and also, you know, to have a relationship. Maybe a complicated relationship, but to have a relationship with the Western world ideas. So, Modi, uh, did you ever think of joining the national religious people? rather than being a secular person? Uh, uh, did, in your life, did you ever think that of joining the national religious instead of the instead of leading a secular life? Hello? Yeah, I can hear you. Yeah, hello, can you hear me? Yes, yes, I feel that we have hello? a very good question. I hear you. Yeah. We have a very good question. Yeah. 
Yeah. So have you ever thought of leaving the secular people leaving a secular life and leading a national religious life? Okay, listen. Jay. Did you ever think in the past? Listen. You have to be like a, like you have to be like you have to be like a journalist. You are making a good job, you know, to ask the good question. Well, you are really no no. Okay. <laughs> yep. I'm pretty sure I'll fail in that. <laughs> What? <laughs> I'm pretty sure I will fail badly. No 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 no. I will fall no. from the sky. <laughs> no no. You you actually put the finger on the point. You ask a very good question. I can okay. simplify your question. Why to leave the ultra orthodox mm. and to become secular? Why to not find the middle of the way to be a national religious? So I will first of all answer you. There are very few people, you know, they used to be ultra orthodox and became secular, that actually find themselves found themselves in the middle of the way. Most of them actually became completely secular. And privately, I will answer you why. I actually I do not participate in the national religious. You have to know at the time that you are losing your faith you are losing you know your belief. So most of the people that I know, my friend, they didn't got it again. You know what I mean? So if you lost your you lost your faith, you cannot fake, you know, yourself like you are believe and you became religious. No. Listen. I have I have a big attached to the religious. I like the religious. Maybe I'm a, I'm a kind of a religious person, but I cannot again practice the law, the rules, and worship. No, because at the time when at that night at the forest, when I stopped, we live. So there is no meaning for me, you know, to to you know to put that feeling that the Jewish people are putting that feeling and the talit and going to pray. So even though I like the national religious. I like those ideas. You know, I would wish to be a part of them but I cannot because I lost my faith, you know, it's 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 actually to be a liar, you know, to 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 cheat myself mm. if I if I would participate mm. to the national participate in national religious. But I want to say another issue. Listen. When you are a part of a community and you feel actually I out the community actually is choking you. you feel the stress you know like the narrow world of the community and you got your freedom you don't want to lose your freedom anymore and to become again a member of a community so most of those people they don't want to be even a part of even a soft religious community but but i can say that a lot of people that at the beginning they are angry they're against the Jew, the, the the Judaism they're against the ultra orthodox they're against the you know this this identity of Jewishness so slowly slowly after 10 years they start actually to make a reconciliation some of them not all of them a lot of them are still anti they hate the ultra orthodox they hate the religious but me and I have friend like me like 10 years you know you settle down you actually see that things are complicated there is no black and white there are good people evil people 
So now I can say that from my point of view, it's very important, uh, you know, my, my Jewish identity and I like my history and so on. There is a kind of people that actually try to synthesize between the secular Western world lifestyle and the religious, the religious life. But I can say it's not only people like us that live the ultra-Orthodox society. Generally in Israel, in the last 10-20 years, we can see a lot of people. They like, they do not become religious like ultra-Orthodox. They are the middle of the way. You know, if they're artists or a scientific men and so on, so they will practice some commitment of the Judaism, but they will be a part of Israel. So in the last 10, 15 years, we can see like the mixing, the mixing of the two worlds. But I can say, surely I'm attached to my identity as a Jew. And listen, even, even as an ultra-Orthodox, there are some elements in my soul that I feel like an ultra-Orthodox. For example, to sing or so on. And actually I like that and I do not deny it. I do not deny it. And I have a lot of friends of uh, the ultra-Orthodox. Wow, that is great. And yeah, so right now, when you have been working as a tour guide and everything. Could you tell us about your life in the universities, like when you went to Jerusalem first and Haifa University, and now you are also studying in Jerusalem. So how is your life studying all these things? And how do you manage it along with your job? Ah, it's very easy. Listen, I have a very comfortable job. Uh, it's a job that, as I like, you don't have to wake up every morning and to go to the factory and so on. So. It's enough for me, you know, to do a tour, like two or three hours, and then I got nice money. And honestly, I don't, listen, I don't, I, I don't like it. I, I'm not a vocalist. So if I've got enough money, so, so I'm going and I'm going and I'm studying. So uh, I can jungling. It's not a big problem for me to study and, and to go to work. Not at all. I have another problem that sometimes the study is actually, I feel bored, it's boring me because I know the stuff and people asking like, you know, like not clever questions. So I feeling a bit that, you know, I'm wasting my time. Hmm. As in during the tour or while studying? <laughs> And uh, no, while I'm studying, as I'm doing the tour, no, 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 because I like people, <laughs> curious people, not at all. I told you my favorite tour is, mm. is, is the tour to un-Israelian people, to tourists in English, uh, in the ultra-outdoor yeah. neighborhood, because it's actually very fascinating to take, to take a different mm. culture, even a strange culture, and to actually to simplify that to people from all over the world, Western world people, you know, some of them opening their eyes, they say, oh my God, I didn't believe that people lives like this, like that. And I have another mission. I have a mission to breaking stigmas. You know, people actually, in some cases, they generalize the ultra-Orthodox. They think that all of them are anti-Zionist and they're throwing stones of policemen and they're not nice and they're, you know, middle-aged middle-aged people 
And then I showed them that the ultra-Orthodox society, it's a very colorful society. We have got different varieties of ultra-Orthodox, more liberal, less liberal. And after all, they are human beings like me and you. Yeah, that was very touching. And also, how do I say, when I was on your tour, uh, I was also very curious. And how do I say, even uh, I could relate to many of the things as well. Because uh, even in other cultures, there is a strong influence of religion. Maybe different religion, but uh, religion who has a similar position as that uh, in the life of the ultra-Orthodox. So in many ways, I could relate to many of the situations and things that you tell us on the tour. So yeah, it was pretty amazing. But I have to ask you a question here. Like, uh, when you first went to a university or a college, did you find anything shocking or did you find anything uncomfortable or you, did you have any complaints with the environment in a university or a college when you first went there? Okay, you are, you are put me, you know, okay, in a very sensitive uh, situation. Um, yeah, it's a very complicated uh, question. I will answer. I belong to the white wing parties. I belong in Israel, and there is, you know, like there is there is a problem between the white white wing parties and the left wing party. And of course, most of the universities in Israel are actually intend, you know, to the the left wing parties. So for me as a guy, a conservative. So it was actually uncomfortable. And some students actually, students, they supposed to hide these ideas. Uh, I, I was a provocative man, so I exposed my ideas. And actually people was amazed. People said to me, we do not believe. You are a smart guy, you are a clever guy. You belong to the white right up parties, to those primitive ignorant people. Uh, so it was a problem for me. Yes, I dislike the environment in the university. I will tell the truth. Yes, but listen, I, I'm, I'm not a social person. I'm not a person with friends. So I like, you know, to live solitary. So I come, I'm coming uh, to the university to study, not to get friends. So I have the, yeah. I have the problem. So I actually came and sat silent, maybe asking some questions and. I didn't need, you know, people that like me or not, will like me or not, something like this. And, but you have always enjoyed the tours. Could you tell us our audiences about your tours and how, if they want to go on one of your tours, how they can contact you? And could you tell us about a bit of your tours that you do? Okay, so, uh... I, first of all, I will tell you about, you know, the study of the tour guide because it was very interesting. Listen, when you... Yeah, listen, sure, listen, when you When you, when you going to the Shiva, so they told, they telling you about Israel, about, about rabbis, about the history, but it's not a scientific way. A lot of the stuff are legends, are, you know, misunderstood, uh, even a bit li lies and so on. So when I actually start to study about Israel, Israel states, in scientific way, it was actually amazing because I actually succeed to synthesize between the Jewish study that I got, you know, at the yeshiva 
And between the scientific study, I got even some thought about the other students because I knew a part of the things. And then, you know, I'll settle all the stuff in the core, in like, in the, in the correct place, which means I realize what is the scientific truth, what is the legends, and I can say that I got my Zionist identity in those two because I saw this land and I saw all the stories 2,000 years ago about Jewish people. And I saw actually this is, you know, my father, my father's land. So even though I'm not a religious person, but I belong, you know, to the Jewish nation, it was actually a big discovery. And listen, I like my job. I like my job because uh, I like to teach and I like uh, people are coming to asking questions. So I'm doing tours all over Israel and special in Jerusalem and special ultra-Orthodox. But listen, my favorite tour is not the ultra-Orthodox. My favorite tour is about Jerusalem, about the old city. Because I guess you know that the old city you know, it's not a particular place to Jewish people. It's a place to all of the monotheistic religions. And I feel mm. that all the human being desire, willing, wishes, religious missing, actually are actually staying in this place. You know what I mean? If even you do not believe, you know, in the in spiritual, in, in the holy, you know, the holy spiritual or in religious, but you feel that this is a place that people are coming and they want something else beside the material world. You know what I mean? They want something, you know, above, above the culture. They want to feel some spiritual. So even though I'm not like a usual, uh, uh, ordinary religious person, but for me to be a tour guide, of course, I like to tell all the details, you know, appropriate, not to tell legends and lies. But for me, when I see the eyes, and especially religious people, the eyes of those people could be Christian, Muslims, uh, Jewish people, the eyes are shining because they feel the connection to that special city. So it makes me very happy. And in the intellectual uh, way, it's actually to amaze the people, because you know, to 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 build a tour is an artist is an artist job. Even though you can be very knowledgeable, you have to consider what to say, what to not say, when to say. From one end, you have to give a lot of details. From what the other end, you have to actually actually amaze the people to tell them funny stories. You have to actually, you know, to smell. Yes, you have to smell the group. If it's an highly okay. group like Juniti, so you have to behave with them in another way. You have to do it in a higher level. And if it's a like, I'm sorry to say it, but a, a football a football gamers, so they like to hear the stories about about Jerusalem, but they like to hear the scandals and the fails and the adultery and so on. So before a tour, <laughs> yes, yeah, so be before a tour, I have actually to smell the people and, and to see which kind of people there are. And for example, if there are, wow. if there are atheist people, 
So I will try to tell them the story of, of, uh, of Jerusalem in a scientific way. I will not, you know, I will tell them about Jesus, about the Western world, but I know that they are not interested, you know, they're interested in religious stuff, but in scientific way. But, but if they are Christian, so I will behave with them like I'm a Christian. I will actually go with them in a journey. I will feel there is excitement. I will tell them about Jesus, about the Lord. I will take them to the site that I know that actually it will actually move them, cause them emotional and so on. Listen, the toughest group are actually in Israel have group like, you know, from the lowest class. They are not interesting in stories, in history and so on. So you have to be very smart and you have to change your position and pretending yourself like them and to speak with them with this language, like it's a shallow language. So it's a very interesting job because you have actually to create yourself every time from the beginning. You think that I'm making every day before the coronavirus, the tour, the ultra-Orthodox tour at Mea Sharim with people from all over the world. So I can say, they are not similar to each other, the tours, because you are smelling the people and, and you have to behave actually like the willing of those people. So I have a lot of kind of tools. I have a tool, ultra-Orthodox neighborhood. I have, you know, the regular tool, history, the three religious uh, in Jerusalem. I have like, like 30 or 40 kind of tools in Jerusalem. You have to know that in Jerusalem you can actually doing tours months on months because we have got so much knowledge, you know. So much. So much, you know. Every wow. day I find... Yes. Huh? No, no, you go. I was, I was just fathoming 30 and 40 different kinds of tours in one city, Jerusalem. I, yes, of course. There is a tour like in the, in the yeah. rich areas. I have, I'll, I'll give you for example. I have a tour follow the crusaders mm. i have to follow the follow wow. the, the british mandate i have to follow the christian byzantine period you know you have got i have to the roman times we've got here listen we've got here like jerusalem was under occupation 40 times 30 times so every period we have got another rulers and another custom of custom of life and so on so it's very interesting And in each of these tours, uh, apart from Jerusalem, you do tours throughout Israel, yeah, right? Throughout Eretz yeah. Israel, from Kiryat Shemona to, to Elat. Yes, yes. I, I see you are familiar with, are familiar so, with Israel. Okay, okay. Is is one is a one is is a one point ten from uh, Bombay, so it's quite easy, I guess so. I guess Bombay is double. Uh, pardon me? No, I say that Bombay is, I guess, is, is ten, uh, 10 times Israel. No? Yeah, 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 yeah. I agree. <laughs> and also, when I first came to Tel Aviv, it was very similar to the southern neighborhoods of Mumbai. So, when I first came to Tel Aviv, I was very comfortable. Like the Tel Aviv area, from the airport to the dorms in the university, mm. I felt, ah, it's just like Mumbai, 
southern part of mumbai not northern because mumbai is very diverse we have the uh, large number of slums in mumbai we also have high rise buildings we have all kinds of things in mumbai it's like so much diversity but very crowded uh you might have seen in the movies and youtube how crowded mumbai is in the local trains and buses listen my my wife and we we have, we have a dream actually to to come and visit india a very special uh, very oh, special to come okay let's see you know with the coronavirus there you know but yeah, yeah. i buy about but i think it should be over in this right year and do visit i show you around I'm not a professional tour guide but I'll show you around. Then Ah I couldn't listen. Yes you will. Yeah I can hear you now. Yeah I can hear you now. Yes 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 you have spoke about uh, Tel Aviv. I say all ta- I say all the time that here in Israel we've got two capitals. Mm. We've got the spiritual capital which is Jerusalem and the material capital which is Tel Aviv. Mm. This is what I'm saying all the time. Yeah. Uh from my point of view I like I, I like Jerusalem more than Tel Aviv. Mm. I do not feel comfortable in Tel Aviv. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because Tel Aviv is a material capital and it's difficult to me a bit mm. uh Tel Aviv. I like I I like the conflict. I like you know the boiling environment, you know. Mm. I guess I guess you the boiling environment of Tel Aviv, of Jerusalem. Uh but what do you mean by boiling as in interesting or as in there's always something fascinating about it? Could you explain that part? Yes, yes. Yes, it's always fascinating because we have got different kind of people religious Christian Muslims and and so there are all the times stories and of course the conflict also the conflict even you know it's not nice of course it's not nice but it's fascinating you know what i mean maybe people all over the world they say okay oh my god to live in Jerusalem they think that it is a place that people fighting each other all the time no we've got also you know regular life so so i like i like this environment and do you think that uh living in jerusalem is also like uh in any way it requires you to take some additional measures or you have to put something extra in your mind when you are living in jerusalem compared to any other place in the world And no 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 I will tell you what except one things except listen some some streets are closed at Shabbat and most of the shops but this the, the secular side of Jerusalem it's quite a western world city listen in all of the cases you are dressing as you want to a secular place there is one one issue that I can say that they are not tolerant to gays. You will never see gays all the end on the streets. But uh, in, other, in, other, in other issues, it's not like Tel Aviv, you know. It's not a material capital, but people are doing a secular people. 
If you're in the secular area, nobody will tell you to put a kippah, nobody will tell you what to do. Except in the neighborhood of the ultra-Orthodox at Shabbat, and there, there are some demonstrations against, but listen, I have friends, secular people, they say we do not feel comfortable in Jerusalem. Those people, mm-hmm. they, they mainly belong to the left side, left wing par- mm-hmm. left wing parties, left side. Mm-hmm. So they say we do not feel comfortable in Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. They say Jerusalem became more, more religious. But from my point of view, I don't think that somebody is actually uh, limited, uh, limit, uh, give me limits mm-hmm. or like this. No. So Jerusalem is as a... But maybe I can. Yeah, you're saying something? Maybe? Listen, I'm not a, an example because maybe I'm, I'm a conservative guy. So maybe for a conservative guy, so it's not a problem. And also I marry. I marry, I marry. So, but single people, liberal people, maybe they do not feel comfortable in Jerusalem. Maybe, maybe, mm-hmm. I don't know. But Jerusalem, as I saw it, and as I have heard from you now, it is a city with so many flavors and so many smells and there's always like, how do I say, a person will not get bored in Jerusalem. How much of it is correct when I say this? Okay. Uh, 110%. Of course, listen, I will tell you, I have a very interesting tour. Mm-hmm. I tour, my tour called a travel follow Jerusalem syndrome. Have you heard about Jerusalem syndrome? No. Jerusalem syndrome, it's a very interesting phenomenon uh, in the mental disease phenomenons. Jerusalem syndrome is people uh, that, that came that comes to Jerusalem and they became mad that they, they start to think that they are Messiah, they are John the Baptist and uh, maybe the Moses or the Jewish Messiah and so on. We have got like like dozens of people uh, that actually every year they're suffering from this phenomenon, mental disease. I'm sorry about the dog. Oh, it's fine. You it's also me? part of the podcast. Yes. Yes. And what is very interesting that Actually, this phenomenon is recorded in the history more than 1,500 years. So we have got your person. We have got your persons. Second. Yes, we have got near. We have got in Jerusalem persons, Christian Jewish people, okay, rich people, and uh, poor people that actually they actually fall in this in this syndrome Jerusalem. And what is interesting that some of them are very, very famous people. And I have a very special tour about those people. And some of those people, you have to know, for example, you know that, that uh, the second I will close the window, there's dogs that fight each other. Uh, you know that Jerusalem, uh, 200 years ago, was like a tiny village, a tiny village uh, of like of like 8,000 8, people and 2,000 Jewish people, that's okay. all. And during the year, and it was just inside the walls, during the years, Jerusalem was developed, and right now, we are like a million people. 
one of the causes that Jerusalem became actually developed are missionary, messianic missionary, some of them, they had like a syndrome Jerusalem. They believe that Jesus will come just after the Jewish people will sit in Israel, especially in Jerusalem. And some of them were crazy missionary, not all of them, very famous people. Like the consul of Jerusalem, the first consul, the American consul, he thought he will go and he will save the Jewish people of Jerusalem. So it's not only, you know, like a lunatic people. It's even famous people. We've got like Rasputin, if you hear this name. Yeah. He was the advisor of, uh, Zar. of the, of the Zar. Tsar in Russia. Tsar in Russia, yes. The, the Russian Tsar. Or like the hotel Gogol and so on. And for me, it's very fascinating. Those people that actually are coming to Jerusalem and Jerusalem actually shakes them. And they feel like the apocalypse. They feel they have a mission to save the world. So actually, as, as you said, Jerusalem is a very colorful place. And even now we have persons like this. Wow. You know, it's very interesting. People don't, but you know that Trump actually moved the embassy from Tel Aviv mm-hmm. to Jerusalem. One of the causes was because the evangelists that believe that Messiah, Jesus will come after Jewish people will be in Israel and they support Israel. So they push the president to move the embassy. And those people are linked. Hello? Hello? Uh, hello? Yes, Drito, you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. So yeah, you were telling us about the embassy move to Jerusalem and you mentioned something like 200. I couldn't get off. Yes, I said that, that uh, the Trump, one of the reasons that he pushed, uh, that he moved, mm. he moved the embassy from Jerusalem to Tel Aviv is because the evangelists, some evangelist Christian movement, they actually gave, the, gave him their support to the presidency, okay, that, and, and they said to him, one of the conditions was that he will move the embassy from Jerusalem to Tel Aviv. And those movement belongs to, to those, those people belongs to the movement created like two, uh, 150 years ago of the missionary that they came to the Valley of Jerusalem. So those people had already come to Jerusalem uh, like their uh, predecessors about 150, 200 years ago, and they had already built up structures in Jerusalem and all that. So those yes, structures yes. are still there in Jerusalem? Of course, that's yes, of course. Yes, you can see like like the, the Angelican, they came the first from, from, from England. So we have got a, a, the Messianic Church. It was a missionary church actually uh, directed to Jewish people. We have got also French, we have got many kinds of Christian, uh, Germans and American and British and so on. And actually they developed Jerusalem, yes. They build hospitals and schools and so on. Listen, they failed. They failed. It was 
it was just dozens of people that converted and became Christian. But they're, they're, they have a, a big part of the development of Jerusalem, of course. And all the parts of Jerusalem, like the, uh, how do you say, the newer neighborhoods, like as we are going from the airport to Jerusalem city, there are many places along the sides of the mountains where people have made houses. Uh, are they considered Jerusalem? Because like it is between uh, Beit Shean and Jerusalem. You mean Beit Shemesh, not Beit Shean, Beit Shemesh. Yeah, oh, sorry, Beit Shemesh. Between Beit Shemesh yes. and Jerusalem, there are a lot of places where people live in very nice neighborhoods, which are along the mountain slopes, uh, which is like a slope of the mountain, the balconies on the mountain valley. Yes. Uh, so you yes. can so, see the... Yeah. No, depends, depends. Just the closed. The close neighbor, the, the neighborhood that are close to Jerusalem, Jerusalem, they are part of Jerusalem. It's like the neighborhood that they are like uh, uh, four kilometers from Jerusalem. But we've got a forest neighborhood that they are, no, they it's small settlements, small towns, small villages, but they are not a part of Jerusalem. No, not at all. And I guess these are like newer phenomenons, right? This is a new phenomena, these new houses. Listen, if you would come to Jerusalem 140, 50 years ago, so mm -hmm. all around was a desert, was nothing, just inside the old city, just the old city. And the old city was a miserable place. 8,000 people used to live there in a tough condition. And just brave people 150 years ago, they actually start to build neighborhood outside the walls. You have to know the outside the walls were like thieves and even animals, scare, you know, uh, scaring animals. So it's a new phenomenon, of course. It's a new phenomenon. Wow. But uh, I would like to speak about uh, the coronavirus in yeah, Jerusalem. Yeah. Yeah, do tell me. Well, yes, yeah, so, so listen, the coronavirus, it's, it's, you know, beside, it's very sad, but it's also fascinating how actually people and government dealing with the coronavirus. Especially, it was interesting in Jerusalem because Jerusalem is like the holy city. And mm. it was unbelievable to walk in Jerusalem know to walk we were not allowed to walk but in some cases if you are going to help somebody or to your mother and like this and to see Jerusalem empty empty to see the place over the western wall empty or for example the Holy Sepulchre Church the church which the Lord was crucified Jesus to see it closes in the Pascha in the Eastern Hmm. or right now the dome of the walk so you feel actually you feel like the end of the days you know we feel that there is something uh, apocalyptic uh, especially it was interesting by the ultra orthodox neighborhood I'm going to producing a, a producing like a clip how the ultra orthodox hmm. in Israel and Jerusalem actually uh, dealing with the with the coronavirus, I guess you have seen on the TV. I hope so. That yeah, some I of them do not. 
practice social yes. distancing yes some of them do not follow the rules uh, a lot of the casualties from the coronavirus came from the ultra orthodox because they mm. do not follow the rules we have got people that actually struggled the policemen and so on so i actually actually i'm going to explain this clip i will send you i hope so i want to do it tomorrow yeah, yeah. Uh, why yeah. the ultra orthodox society uh, found difficulties actually to predict the dangers of the coronavirus and to follow the rules so in jerusalem was very fascinating uh, uh, to, to to drive in jerusalem and to see everything is empty everything is closed it was you know we have got the the pace overnight so the government actually made a special lockdown because the government scared that in the holiday people will get will go to visit each other and and then they will infected and so on so the government locked down so you know all of the people even you know like like small families of two people like a young couple they made the pace over the pace overnight alone so close to my to my to my home was a policeman a car and actually they they sent all the people back to the to the houses and it was very interesting you, you know we hear the noises of the bird we hear the bird because i live in a very in a very center places there are ambulance cars and so on i i'm close to the prime minister apartment resident okay and yes wow. yes drit i'm with you i'm listening so yeah you're telling us uh but i couldn't get one part you are talking about the pesach the passover yes. okay yes. so isn't that the time also when people make the tents outside the house to stay no 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 this is sukkot this is oh i mixed it up yes, oh yes, yes. i mixed it up that's why i got confused okay yes, yes. This so this is october this is october but okay. it was very interesting because we've got three holidays of the three religions mm. we've got the eastern mm. the passover and the ramadan so it was yeah. very 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 interesting so very interesting how the communities behave for example i, I guess you know that the the greek orthodox like the eastern just mm-hmm. have a very special event at uh, the saturday light you read about that all of the people no. gathering in the church yes all of the people and they believe that a fire dropped down from heaven it's a very interesting ceremony it's a historic ceremony oh. of 1500 years and the patriarch the greek orthodox and the armenian they are coming with uh, with the torches and actually they believe that the fire it's very interesting so every oh. year, every year it's a phenomenon of thousand 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 people you have you are lucky if you you got a permission to participate at this mm. ceremony and in this year just mm. the patriarch with a few people they came to an, an empty to the to the empty church it was like a broadcast a live broadcast but it was an historic mm. moment to see the church empty in this historical moment listen a, mm. just a week ago a week ago the government opened the cotton the western the wailing wall okay. in very interesting yeah. way 
they build like fence they build fe- uh, uh, like like fence and just mm-hmm. they divided, divided the western wall to to areas each area with fence and just 10 people and when i came the okay. bodyguard they closed the hotel they says no you are not you are not allowed to enter i've got pictures i can send you uh, mm-hmm. it's crowded from our point of view and most of the people they stayed they stayed outside and listen when you are study history so you mm-hmm. have a sense of historical moment and i think that the coronavirus it's a very very historic period so actually yeah. i try to record and to take pictures and you know to take mm-hmm. videos because i think it's a very special moment especially in jerusalem like i feel and that yes yeah yeah you're going at you go at jerusalem yes yes yeah yeah so i was saying so all these videos and these clips do you upload them on your youtube channel or on your facebook channel listen yes i'm uploaded in my facebook channel uh, okay so very, but our audiences you can share it with them so that they all can watch it that it's in hebrew it's in hebrew it's a problem it's oh. in hebrew uh, but i, I want to do in english also i will do in english also mm-hmm. uh, i have got like you know i was i i'm unemployment right now i'm sit at home so i made like in the facebook uh, i called it like uh, a trips from the coat i op uh, pre- uh, like trip from the sofa I hope I actually translated okay. it well. Yes. Hello? Uh so trips trips were from the sofa. Trips from the, from sofa. the sofa. So every week I actually like I made some video and I told some details about Jerusalem. Uh, you can see it quite it's quite funny. You know why? Yeah, I saw the one where you ran to the Jaffa Gate and you said, yeah. "Hey, I'm in Old City." And I saw yeah. that part. Yes, yes, yes. I have to translate it in you know to 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 actually to producing some uh, subtitles. Let's see. Yeah, subtitles would be amazing. Yeah. Yes. And in this time and all like Jerusalem is the capital and it has the Supreme Court, the Knesset, the parliament, it has the prime minister's office and all the major departments and museums and everything. So do you think all the presence of these large number of government buildings uh kind of gave it kind of makes people relieved that because the government is here so the city will be taken care of or is it that because the government is here there is too much pressure on the people that they should all remain safe they should all follow the rules listen listen i i i belong to the conservative attitude to the coronavirus i believe that uh, actually people should follow the rules and you know mm. there are people that say we have got the conspiracy of the G- G5 and so on listen uh, what, what is the conspiracy G5 G5 you didn't hear about the G5 oh, people oh, that believe oh G5. oh G5 countries okay yes yes okay. i do not believe yes listen i will tell you mm. it's quite strange i will tell you why because <laughs> in the beginning actually the government locked down all israel and they were very mm. tough and actually they opened israel a week ago and you can see like jerusalem and all the cities except the beaches or the cinema or the museums people are walking on the street 
and if you didn't see and if they were without mask you have been so, thought that it's a usual day so it's interesting what's happened in the last two weeks that the government changed their mind I think that the government first of all they actually closed you know all Israel because they didn't know what is this coronavirus what is this and then after a month maybe they got realized that in Israel special Israel I don't know why so there is a lack in the spread of the virus listen we have yeah. like 11,000 people with the coronavirus and right now we have just like 16 people every day that they actually got the coronavirus maybe because of the summer and don't know but I think lesson yeah. nobody knows what is the story of the coronavirus I believe mm. our government they are doing the best if they are manipulating mm. maybe a bit maybe they are you know they are playing a bit but I think generally they doing the best you know in in a phenomenon that we don't know what is this actually mm. and when during this corona lockdown were you able to go out in the city maybe walk around did you feel safe did you walk around the city and all listen i'm going i'm i i i actually i'm putting the mask and i am also i'm taking the alcohol gel and i am mm. and actually i keep distance from people even from friends you know yeah. i met uh, i met some friend today and so i actually uh, i sat with him in the davidka square you know the place that we mm. used to begin the the tours and yeah. so we actually we have sit 2 meters from each other if i feel safe quiet quiet safe yes i'm taking the measures i'm taking you know all the measures yeah. you actually to protect mm. yourself but let yeah. i feel a lack i feel actually a lack of the tourists and i'm waiting for the tourists mm. because you know it's yeah i feel full when the tourists are coming and i'm telling them about jerusalem about the ultra orthodox i like it i like it and right now yeah. right now uh, we are unemployment and and uh, we feel some missing to the tourists yeah it's like also jerusalem as a city it is very bubbly city it is always bubbling with visitors and tourists uh, i think jerusalem also must be looking very different right without the tourists and only local listen uh, if you are a local man so you will never say you cannot be sure that this guy is a tourist and this guy no you know we have got here a lot of un-Israelian. Okay. So we know that there okay. are no tourists. Listen, we, we, we know mm. that there are no tourists. But if you, you take somebody from the moon and put them in Jerusalem, so without the map, mm. it's the same Jerusalem, except the public sites, like the Holy Sepulchre Church and the Western Wall and the museums and so on. Mm. So the life, more and less, it's the same. Right now, in the same, last week, yeah. it's the same. Mm. That was a very good answer. It explained the dynamic situation in a very nice way and very concise way. That was a very good explanation, Roti. Yeah. So listen, listen, from all I, this, I'm still yeah. I, I I don't know. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's makes sense that it will be the second wave. You know, a lot of the people do not keep distance, they do not follow the rules, especially by the ultra at Measharim. It's horrible. Horrible. Yesterday was a very big event 
an holiday called Lag Baomer. Lag Baomer is like an anniversary day of some of the mystic, very famous mystic person that he passed away 2,000 years ago. Its name is Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. And one of the practices that you have to light 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 fires we've got you know like big uh, big fires that people are lighting all over israel so the government forbidden to light to light fires and the tomb of this rabbi that every year like hundreds of thousands of people are coming there and dancing and praying and so on it was closed and just a few hundred people rabbis they got the permission uh, uh, to actually going to this site So most of the ultra-Orthodox, uh, they follow the rules, they do not light the fires, they do not gather together and so on. But in Mea Sharim, we have seen hundreds of people, you know, we are not allowed uh, to, meet, to meet just 50 people in Salmonis and just 10 people in, 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 in an house. So hundreds of people, they actually gather in Mea Sharim and they light the fire and they were dancing. And from my point of view, it's horrible. We've got dozens of casualties by the ultra-Orthodox, and those anti-Zionists, they say that it's a conspiracy, and the Zionists, they want to control the religious people, and they want actually to forbid the religious practicing. So some of those people, they actually dangerous themselves and people outside. And maybe the government will do a new lockdown of those neighborhoods. You have to know that some neighborhoods are still in lockdown, especially ultra-Orthodox neighborhoods are in lockdown because some of them do not follow the rules. And if, apart from... If you remember, you remember mm-hmm. when, when I, I, I was taking you to the ultra-Orthodox too, you remember it was a synagogue, the Shtiblach, you remember? Yeah. Yes, so this... Uh, the... The one where you made, explained us the writing on the main street, that one? No, 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 no. It was a synagogue called the Shtiblach, a place that I, I told you that this is like the cultural center of the ultra-Orthodox. A place ah, that... Ah, I get it. So, the one with the paper stickers. Yes. So this place became a battlefield. It actually became a battlefield between the extreme ultra-Orthodox and the policemen. They are coming, they are gathering and they are praying and the policemen are coming and actually they spread them out and, and actually there is a fight and they are throwing stones and so on. That's, it actually became a battlefield, this area, this area. And is it only in the Miashrim Orthodox neighborhood or something like this is also happening in, let's say, Petatikwa or in Safad? No, 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 in, in, in the ultra, uh, in Measharim, in, it's in Measharim. Okay. In, in, listen, it's very interesting. It's a very, a new phenomenon. We have got ultra-Orthodox, they will call the police, and they will say, you know, behind, next to me, there are 10 people that are gathering to pray. It's like a revolution because an ultra-Orthodox, We'll never call a secular, uh, the, to the secular uh, pol- police and he will give, give him information about his friend, an ultra-Orthodox. But right now, we've got ultra-Orthodox. They will call the police and they will say, listen, we've got your people that are breaking the laws. So it's very interesting. Most of the ultra-Orthodox, they follow the rules. 
I guess in Mea Sharim, this is the battlefield. And listen, if you will come them, it's like, it's like a war, like a war. Actually, they are actually gathering together and the, then, the policemen, then the policemen are coming and they spread the people out and the people are, are throwing stone. It's actually like, like a battlefield. So I hope it doesn't spread in Israel anymore. But yeah, from what I hear and understand, yeah, there is a chance because if the rules are not followed, then yeah, the virus doesn't care about anyone. If it can yeah. just spread like, yeah, that is the thing about viruses. They don't discriminate. They don't, they don't have a, that functionality in that, that they will choose and they will figure out. They will just spread in whichever way the virus can spread. You, that you is something. Not, you, you, do, you do not get crazy at home, you know. To be in lockdown, it's. I do. I do. Yeah, yeah. I have not left my house in more than one month. I have not left my house. Ah, so that's more the, than one month. So that's the reason why you are eager to doing a, a podcast. Podcast, exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I have not left my house, and I can tell you, it's like. Uh, but yeah, for instance, at night, I go and look at the stars from my balcony. I get a very nice view of the stars, which is not possible always, because usually the pollution level in India is relatively high. So wow. I cannot see the stars, but now I can see the stars. Like in Israel, I noticed this, the air is very clean. So in wow. Israel, you can see the stars wow. any day. In Tel Aviv or Jerusalem, if it is not cloudy, you can see the stars. Mm. In India, in the big cities, not so much. It used to be the case earlier, but now if you want to see the stars, you have to go to the countryside or maybe somewhere like that, because most of the urban areas, they produce heat and smoke and dust. So automatically there is like an envelope, so mm. you cannot see that. So yeah, and I do that at the night time. And even at night, say like 12 o'clock, one o'clock, when it is totally silent, I go out and see everything in the balcony and from my balcony I can also see a beautiful mountain. It is like seven or eight or nine kilometers away. There is, it is like we are living in a cluster of buildings, but in between the buildings there is a little gap and through the gap I can see those beautiful mountains. So I see those mountains, once in a while I take my binocular and I stare at the mountains, I zoom at the mountain if I can see something. <laughs> so that is like my uh, way of getting out and also i watched some nice tv series like recently have you seen i guess you might have seen there's a new netflix show called unorthodox by yes. written by feldman yes yes deborah uh, feldman she yes the value yes yes uh, you you will be surprised uh, but i didn't watch this uh, this this series believe mm. fed up i fed up because here in israel we have got so many series mm. out ultra orthodox and so on yeah, I, I actually watched it a few minutes. Uh, I haven't patient. I prefer to see series about the Second World War and about uh, the German mm. Nazis and so on. <laughs> yeah. But tell me, may I ask you how you're making your living if you are in, in lockdown? Yeah, so right now we are like in my case, I just finished my master's like in March 1st was my submission of my thesis. So I submitted my thesis and then I had, this is like my second podcast. So I'm going ahead with my second podcast. And also I have like, I'm right now enrolled in 
one more program here. It's like a distance program. Like in Israel, there's the Israel Open University. Yes, yes, So yes. here I'm, but right now I'm not making any living almost. So it is like I'm living with my parents right now. Mm-hmm. When Corona started, I just submitted my thesis and I got my results two, three weeks ago. So we are all under complete lockdown. So I cannot leave. No one can leave in the family. So yeah, my father, I'm like right now a dependent. I've grown up, but sadly dependent. So yeah, so right now I'm working on this podcast series. And if it becomes more successful, then maybe I can monetize it. But for monetizing it, I need a bank account in America. If I have a bank account in India, I cannot make money with it. So it is more like a pet project. So yeah, it will go on like that. And uh, I'm preparing for some other things. And maybe once the lockdown is over, then I pre- I intend to go for a teaching job in India, in Mumbai, where I live. Like I live outside Mumbai. It's a suburb of Mumbai. It's called Navi Mumbai, which means like New Mumbai. So it is like Mumbai has the harbor. And on the left side of the harbor is the city of Mumbai. And on the right side of the harbor is the main landmass of India. So on this right side, there's the city called Navi Mumbai. So between me and Mumbai, there is water body. So if I have to go to Mumbai, I have to take the bridge. There's a bridge and yeah, that's how it is. So once lockdown is over, I intend to go for a teaching job. Which kind of teaching? Because I've got a by a school. By so school. I'm, yeah, yeah, maybe a school or maybe in India, we have a lot of uh, institutions where people prepare for like ah, positive to, examinations ah, okay. for the government. It is like psychometry, mm-hmm. like psychometry in Israel. But in India, this exam is not psychometry. It's more like there's there are papers on political science. So because I studied my master's was in political science, security and diplomacy. Mm-hmm. So I can teach there also. So once the lockdown is over, I intend to apply to all these places. And yeah, that's the plan. Okay, I, I will. And apart from Okay, yeah. I, I wish you soon to be released and you know to make money and you know, yeah yeah to fulfill all your dreams all your dreams to fulfill it yeah yeah yes yeah thank you so much you. I hope that it ends soon too but right now I think in India the corona is going to increase because Begins. of the yeah because our population is very large wow. and we in India have had one of the toughest lockdown like Wow. I don't know whether any other country has implemented wow. the lockdown in such a strict way. Wow. Like only two, three days ago, like the immigrant workers were allowed to go back to their homes. Wow. Wow. Three days ago. Wow. And so government allowed 46 special trains so that they can go home. Otherwise, they were all stuck for 45 days. Wow. I saw. Because no one was allowed to move. I saw. I, I watched it, uh, you know, some uh, some clip that the, the policemen are, are actually. Uh, whipping people that's right if somebody yeah 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 <laughs> okay yeah but it's like they, no one has any choice because the government told people not move maintain distance and when there is no distance being maintained the police are actually doing many creative things also there is one policeman like in one place what they have done is they have got the prayer like prayer things and when somebody violates the law they start worshipping him like okay brother you are god the virus will not touch you so let's worship you so it's like making fun of them wow. so that is one way of handling then there is one more place where police are wearing helmets which has got wires like the helmet looks like a wires ball wow. like the wires image that we have wow. the graphic and they're wearing it 
and it, there are other places where people have taken initiatives like they dress up like uh, the god of underworld and the man is walking around saying if you roam around the streets you're welcome to join me i'll take you to the underworld wow. with me wow. it's like saying you'll die <laughs> and then there is the hitting, whipping and hitting part like in some places where the police has no choice like uh, and they are also crazy because everybody is on the lockdown but the police they are working they are working 24/7 wow. they are controlling the roads the trains everything and in india we don't have that much police like 1.3 1.4 billion people but the number of police is not high like in western country like number of police for 1000 people that number is not high so even they are under a lot of stress and many of them are under threat because they are row working so they can get the virus mm. and nobody wants a policeman to get the virus but many policemen have also got the virus and some of them are in hospitals right now so yeah there are also very few tools in hand and everybody is trying their best that this thing ends soon and we all can go back to normal yeah yeah before we go back on that uh, i will continue if you have still the patience to talk to me yes i have, i have just a few minutes i have some job to do so yeah sure okay yeah take your time yes. yeah i'll disconnect it and i'll connect back with you what i'll disconnect this connection and i will join back with you i will ah. send you another invitation okay but 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 it it will be maybe tomorrow or another day so you feel that you, okay, you want good. to continue the conversation okay then let's conclude in the next 5 minutes then yes okay i'm waiting for your question yeah so given that all this thing that you said and then you're working right now and what's your dream for your future life like do you have in particular apart from the goal that you want to go for a phd do you have any dream for yourself like you want to do something eh uh, wow okay if i have some dreams eh uh, wow some dreams listen i haven't particular dreams to be rich or to be my, my dream is to be like you know a professor in the university to teach people to write articles uh, i have a dream to help people to be some volunteer something mm-hmm. to help miserable people i have to do it and you maybe you will laugh at me but even though i told the is 38 years old my dream is to have grandchildren <laughs> so uh but i don't that is there's nothing to laugh i don't know why should i laugh that is a very nice dream yeah i hope you become grandpa yes but to 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 soon no not soon i don't want soon my my daughter is 19 years old okay. i want her but okay she is religious but it's listen it's reasonable mm-hmm. that in within uh, four or five years i will be i will be a grandfather or a grandfather i like it uh, mm-hmm. my dream i listen i like to travel all over the world and to see you know mm-hmm. new countries and uh, new cultures for example my and my wife we were at thailand and it was fascinating mm-hmm. fascinating there so nice so nice people believe me i want to go back to thailand not only because of the view when you know the the beaches and the islands because of the people maybe i don't know if they pretend themselves but for me they looks very humble very nice 
and very smiling. I actually fell in love with those people. So I have a dream to come to India, to come uh, to do a bit Europe and Africa. It's very fascinating me. I hope I will do something in some of my life. You know, I heard that... And which all countries? Yep, go ahead. No, no, I'm with you. Yeah, yeah, you're saying something. Go ahead. No, I forget. You are, you are the interviewer. You know. It's, <laughs> it's you, no, you're saying something about... You said you were... You wanted to go to Thailand, India and... Uh, Africa. You, Africa. Africa. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, continent. It's, it's very, it's very, very interesting. But listen, we have got, you know, uh, distance dreams and we have got close dreams. My, my dream is just, you know, mm. people like you, curious people like you from all over the world will come to Jerusalem mm. and to visit this beautiful city. And we are waiting. We are waiting for you. And I'm waiting especially for you, uh, Jurit. Yeah, of course. I want to come back. Yes, I hope I will see you again. I hope so. Yeah. I hope so. Yeah. And so, well, uh, last question perhaps, yes. the second last. So which all countries have you already visited? Uh, okay. So listen, I was in Ukraine. Uh, I was in Ukraine 30 years ago. You know why? Because in Breslev, the sect that I was belongs to, so this master, he actually is buried is buried in Ukraine, in Uman, a small town in central Ukraine. And he promised that, that the people will come to his grave, his tomb, and they will pray. He will actually save them from hell. So many people are coming to this tomb. So my father, he took me. It was actually in the end of the Soviet Union. I remember it was in the end of the Soviet Union. My father, uh, he actually... He bought like, you know, like a false passport, an American passport, you know, a fake passport. And we actually fly to Ost to Ostreich and from Ostreich to Moscow. And then we take a train like a few days to Ukraine. I was like seven years old. Uh, I was also in England and I, 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 also, I also was in Poland the last year I, I, I went to the concentrating camp. It was very emotional for me to go to Auschwitz and Krakow and so on. And I was in Thailand. That's all. Wow, that was a pretty good journey and I hope the corona ends soon and you can travel more and more. But yeah, on the note of the Auschwitz part, yeah, we also had the recently, the day commemorating the Shoah. Yes. Recently. And yes. Yeah, I think that. Okay, Driti, we spend a lovely time. Yeah, so yeah let's end the podcast then. Thank you. Thank you so much, Moti. It was great talking to you. And I hope we get to talk again soon. Okay, okay. Have a great week. Have a great day. I wish you yep. to, be, to be free to release from the lockdown and a safety, healthy future. Yeah, yeah, yeah. same to you, Moti.